Shalom Aleichem. My name is Yaakov Wolf, and this is Shark Tank. I am so excited to share with you our very first episode on conversation with Zevi Reinitz. But before we do that, I want to introduce this show. If you are a Ben Torah in the workforce, you might find yourself facing a number of challenges, religiously, professionally, family-wise, and personally. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with role models and mentors who can give you a fresh perspective and practical advice. I have found these conversations so informative, inspiring, and insightful, and I hope that you do too. For our very first episode, we sat down for a conversation with Zevi Reinitz. In the tech world, Zevi is an award-winning product and marketing executive whose work has been recognized by TechCrunch, Forbes, and more. He is currently the head of marketing at Lifecycle. In the Torah world, Zevi has authored more than 10 Sfarim, and he's helped countless Jewish organizations improve their product and marketing capabilities, including the OU, Koren, and being the digital content manager for Usher Weiss. Our conversation focused on Zevi's journey as a writer and what he thinks is the most important mindset for a Ben Torah in the workforce. Welcome to the Start Tank. It's time to dive in. Zevi Reinitz, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Yaakov. Nice to see you. Great to be with you. For our listeners who don't yet know you, maybe give us a little bit of background about where you grew up and how you ended up in your career in marketing. Sure. So the the quick version is I was uh, born in the U.S., actually born in Syracuse, grew up in Detroit, Michigan. I came to Israel after high school uh, and went to yeshiva. I attended basically two yeshivas. Uh, one of them is better known today as Nativ Aryeh. Uh, at the time, it was Hakotel with Ravina. And after that, I spent, after two years in Hakotel and Nativ, I spent two years learning in a yeshiva called Der Talmud with Rav Chaim Ilsen, uh, after which I met my wife and uh, we learned we were together as a Kolel family in, uh, in the Nativ Kolel. And we settled down here in Yushalayim. I went to Machon Lev for college, the Jerusalem College of Technology, uh, which some of the listeners might know. It's right there next to the Risk campus. And ultimately developed my career as, uh, I guess you'd call it a product and marketing executive. I've been in the tech, uh, the tech industry for, for the bulk of my career. And currently I'm a head of marketing at a tech company based in Tel Aviv. And I also uh, work with other organizations, nonprofits, universities, and even some government agencies and other small businesses to help them develop their product and marketing and go-to-market strategies. So that's kind of me in, in, a, in a nutshell. And going back to Mahon Lev and the outset of your career, did you have any sort of picture as to, you know, we'll talk in a moment about where you ended up and what you're doing today. Did you have any clue or any inkling of what might develop when you were back as a student and a young professional? I had absolutely no clue. I went in uh, with zero idea of what I wanted to do. Uh, you know, uh, I had decided to stay in Israel, you know, with Hashem's help. I met my wife who had also independently after seminary decided to stay in Israel. Everybody thought that we were crazy and that we were never going to find anybody. We weren't going to be able to do anything. Um, so ironically, you know, we were the first to get married of our Hebra and, and then we just started to figure things out. And, uh, I went to Machon Lev because, um, I just thought that that was the place that would uh, fit my schedule and kind of fit my value system. It was the place that allowed me to just 
go to school without all the frills. You know, I wasn't interested in the, the full university experience. I, was, I had a, a, a young family that was, you know, that I was starting. And as I studied, you know, business and technology, I, you know, just found my way, you know, to meeting people and getting uh, opportunities for some entry-level positions and testing the waters. And one thing led to another, and it kind of pushed me towards, uh, towards this kind of tech uh, marketing scene. I think in retrospect, you know, some of the natural tendencies and interests that I have all along, even before, you know, even before Mahalev, I think that those things played a part in pushing me in the direction that I'm in. But I certainly did not have a clear direction uh, by any means when I started out. It's very comforting for someone who struggles to answer questions about what my plans are. And I'm sure that's uh, very comforting to hear. Well, before we get into talking about your writing and your Torah development throughout the years, I wanted to remind you of a conversation that we had, which actually turned out to be one of the sparks that led to this podcast being launched. I asked you about social media and LinkedIn specifically. Someone suggested as a young professional that I should really be on LinkedIn. And I was a little bit confused. I said, like, look, I don't have fancy lattes in the morning to post pictures of. I don't make a lot of money to post about all of the, I don't make any money, so I can't post about that. So why should I be on LinkedIn? And you had a very profound answer and it actually led to this podcast. Maybe you should share that with us. Wow. Okay. That's, uh, first of all, I'm flattered that that, that conversation took a part in uh, in, in this, I didn't realize that, but, uh, I think what you're referring to is the conversation we had about value. And, um, if I recall correctly, you know, what we were talking about at the time is that, uh, for a lot of people, social media, for myself included, social media can feel very, uh, unnatural because it is often defaults to being all about me. Like you were alluding to, it's like, what did I do this morning? What do I'm so great. I did this. And, you know, not only is it unnatural, but I think also technically from a, a, an effectiveness perspective now as a, as a head of marketing and, you know, someone who's responsible to leverage social media in a business sense to be able to promote my company and products and stuff like that. I think what I've realized is that what, one of the truths of social media is that it, um, it will be as effective as you allow yourself you know, as much as you allow yourself to bring value to the people who are listening. In other words, if all you're focused on is you, 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 uh, then unless you're like some huge celebrity, you know, uh, like LeBron James or something, I mean, then then nobody cares about you. Like, who cares about me? Who cares about, like, we're nice, your grandmother might follow you, but really being effective on social media is about, I think, tr constantly reminding yourself, how can I bring value to the people who are on the other side of the screen. And that value could be in the form of things that I know, things that I can do, things that I can offer, uh, insights that I have, experiences that I have. If that's what drives the social media presence and the content creation, at least for the the real folks among us, the people like you and I, you know, who are just trying to uh, to do our best and, 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 and grow and develop uh, relationships and connections personally, professionally, I have found without fail that the more that I focus on what can I do to bring value to those around me, and how can I leverage my circumstances experience to bring you value, the more effective and the more kind of successful that social media uh, uh, venture will be. So I think that that's kind of like a, a, a guiding principle for me in a lot of ways. I'm not always successful at it, but to the extent that I can be, I try my best to think not about myself, but to think what the other person can, can get out of it. You might not even remember, but you used the phrase, this is your chance to grab the mic. And we're talking about LinkedIn, but that phrase really stuck in my head and now here we are 
uh, on this podcast. So thank you for that. I want to transition to talking about your writing, and this is a very big outlet of yours, and you have produced a lot. So maybe you could tell us about some of the sermon you put out and the origin story of how that came to be. Sure. Uh, you are correct. My writing is a very important part of what I do. It's very near and dear to to me and kind of my um, my experience as a, as a Jew, as a Ben Torah. I, at the moment, just in terms of numbers, you know, I've I'm lucky to be able to have published at this point, I think it's 12 Svarim of my own, with another three on the way, hopefully in the near future. Uh, I've edited several more, and I write about topics, you know, ranging from halacha to machshava to sugi uh, zanshas and gemara, um, analyzing different minhagim, English, Hebrew, Parsha. It's, it's really a range, and uh, it's something that I have found has really grounded me and, can, and, and allowed me to really... Uh, you know, maintain whatever positive momentum I've been able to gain, you know, as a Ben Torah, as a Balabas, uh, post-Yeshiva. Um, in terms of how it all started, so I guess, you know, the short answer is that, in a sense, I was I was always a writer. I think even from the time I was a kid, my mother told me that uh, I was just always, that was always my creative outlet of choice, always writing, creative writing, analyzing. Um, in terms of transitioning that and, you know, focusing on Torah output. So I think that really took off when I was in yeshiva and maybe most specifically when I was in yeshiva at Ravilson's yeshiva that I mentioned before. Um, we were encouraged, you know, they had some of the older guys there, of which I was part of them. So we were encouraged to give chaburas uh, once a week. We had these small chaburas and we had this round robin uh, schedule. My chabura... Uh, Rosh Chabura was somebody by the name of Rav Kalman Levine. As uh, he was tragically killed, uh, just parenthetically, he was tragically killed in the Harnof massacre in, in uh, uh, several years ago in Yerushalayim. So he was the Rosh Chabura, and he, you know, encouraged us to to be creative, to think of you know ways to frame ideas and 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 you know kind of develop our creative output in learning at a sophisticated level. And it was something which really showed me that I could do things uh, that I didn't expect that I was able to do. I could develop ideas, I could defend ideas. Um, and kind of then the combination of those two things, kind of my you know, inherent leaning towards writing and my kind of fascination with this ability to be you know, engaged in creating ideas and, and developing ideas in Torah, that's when it started to come together. And when I left Yeshiva, I had uh, kind of like a, a, a nice a nice collection of writings that I was very proud of. I ended up publishing um, a sefer that I called Bikuri Eliezer, which was uh, kind of a collection of those chaburas. And um, and that was kind of one pillar. And with that background in yeshiva, is very, very nice, but I'm sure life got very, very busy. You had a family, you had a career. So what allowed you to continue that beyond the confines of the base medrash? You are 100% right. It is, it is very uh, difficult to juggle things once you leave yeshiva. It's, it's a lot easier to maintain this enthusiasm and this output uh, when you're in yeshiva without anything else uh, distracting you. So looking back, I think there was perhaps one person that stands out as the, as the motivator, you know, as the person who motivated me to, to do this. And interestingly enough, I never met this person. And that is a person by the name of Dr. David Applebaum. Um, Dr. Applebaum, who was killed in a terrorist attack with his daughter Nava in, uh, in Kafe Hillel, 
uh, the night before Nava's wedding. It was a, it was quite a well-known uh, tragedy at the time. He was he was my wife's uh, teacher in seminary. He was a mentor of my wife's. And when we first got married, which was shortly after he was killed, um, I learned about Dr. Applebaum. And one of the things that I learned about Dr. Applebaum, which really made an impression on me, is that he was, in addition to all of his incredibly busy, entrepreneurial, successful, impressive things that he was doing outside of the base medrash, he focused and put a uh, put a, a tremendous personal emphasis and value on creative output. He was a writer. He wrote Chidushe Torah. He published Chidushe Torah, and this was something that was very special to him at every um, at every simcha and otherwise. And I guess for me. It, it made an impression on me because it, it gave me the, um, you know, the validity and the license to go from being what I would call a passive consumer of Torah in yeshiva, where you're just kind of listening to what everybody says, and that's very important and necessary, to be able to complement that with this perspective of being a, an active contributor, an active creator. I don't have to just be a passive consumer. I can also be a contributor and a creator in the Torah world. I have chidushim. I have what to say. I can create initiatives. I can do. Um, and I think that that really motivated me. And since then, since you know, hearing those stories, my wife and I, uh, one of the things we do, we, we, we took upon ourselves, and she encourages me and facilitates. I do the actual learning and the writing. Uh, we, we publish farm for every one of our simchas. Uh, and we've had uh, lots of opportunities to, to do that for children when they're born and for bar and bar mitzvahs. Um, and, and that really has allowed me to continue, uh, to be consistent, even when I wasn't always in the mood, even when things were tough. Uh, I'd say that that was like really one of the ways that I, I forced myself to keep things consistent over the years. And that particular beautiful minhago putting out Swara for some clothes, that's also something that Rabbi Applebaum, Rabbi Dr. Applebaum did? Yes, he did. And in fact, he, um, since then, it's pretty incredible. I, I, I heard the idea at a, at a um, it was a Azkara, I think. It was one of these, you know, I went to an Azkara, you know, shortly after he was killed. And one of the family members was describing this. And I never knew for years, almost for more than a decade, I had no clue who this family member was. I remember the speech. I remember how much it motivated me. Um, I had no idea who this person was. Anyway, make a long story short, uh, a good friend of mine or a mutual friend of mine uh, between me and this person said, you know, you know, this is, this is Yisrael Spiro. This is Dr. Applebaum's nephew, who himself is an incredible, you know, balabas and an accomplished, he's a rabbi, he's a lawyer, he's, he's so incredible. And so after what must have been, uh, I guess, probably 18 years, uh, I, I finally connected with Yisrael. We had a, it was a very emotional, uh, you know, exciting conversation. I told him what I was doing. I, I went to his office and dropped off all my sepharim. He sent me some of the stuff that Dr. Applebaum had written for his uh, you know, bar mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs. And it was, uh, it was something very, very special. And even, I'll even say, uh, uh, that other people who have seen what I'm doing have been inspired, not, not because of me, but because I'm just perpetuating what Dr. Applebaum did in his own family. And they have themselves asked me for help to try to do this in their own families. And so that's been very gratifying and very, uh, very nice to, to see. And so that story of Dr. Applebaum gives a sense of what motivates you and what drives you, what gives you the mindset. But practically, can you tell us a little bit about how your creative process works in putting together these farms? It's a great question. Um, I wish I could give you like a polished, you know, uh, fancy creator answer that I have my writing uh, schedule and my process and my, you know, schedule. You know, it's, it's, it's not always so clean. It's not always so perfect. Um, 
But if I had to summarize it, I think that for me, the most important part of my creative process in this regard is that I don't look at, I don't look at these things as me writing something. I kind of look at myself as a writer and I'll explain what I mean. I mean that, you know, I don't really, it's not like I, I choose a topic and say, okay, now I'm going to write a safe on Chumash. So let me now write, you know, on every parsha. Instead, what I do is I am constantly, you know, uh, uh, attaching writing, the act of writing to any creative pursuit that I have. So if I'm, if let's say on a Shabbos, if I give a Chabura or if I speak to somebody about a Rashi and I have an idea, immediately after Shabbos, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to put it in my notes. And, you know, it's like another building block to put into the collection. And I think over time, you know, if you kind of maintain this mindset of like just constantly recording and writing and, and cataloging things that you think and things that you come up with and things that you hear, what you end up with is kind of a natural trend towards different uh, different topics and different collections of of of, uh, of the very Torah, of ideas. And that lends itself then to be able to then look back and say, hey, that's beautiful. I have a really nice collection of Divrei Torah on the Moadib. Oh, I really have a nice collection of Divrei Torah on the Parsha. Hey, I really have, you know, whatever it is. And then from there, uh, you can then at some point start taking the next uh, step and, and bringing those things to fruition um, in, in terms of the In terms of the actual, you know, process and, and timing, again, I, I wish I could tell you I have a schedule. My wife jokes sometimes that I write my Sfar between 9 and 5. And she does not mean 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. Um, but so she's been incredibly supportive and, and it is a, a large investment of time. But the main thing I could say is just to, to develop the identity of someone who is creative, of somebody who can create and does write and does produce. And then the rest kind of, uh, in a sense, takes care of itself. And I am curious on a very practical level, everyone has their own set of the words for them. But as far as when you want to put out a safer, you have a similar coming up, do you prefer to use physical notebooks, laptop? Do you prefer to go to a base medrash or sit in your office? It's a great question. I all of the above. Um, I when I first started out, I was writing by hand. I I don't even think I owned a laptop at the very beginning when I was in yeshiva. I would actually I remember going home on weekends. My mother had a laptop from work that had like the the Hebrew stickers on the keyboard. My mother, my parents had made aliyah, so they lived in Israel. Um, I would go home and I would with one with one finger each. I would literally search for the letter and tap, and I taught myself to touch type uh, by writing uh, my first few articles, and I would save those in Microsoft Word. Um, at this point, at this point, I would say that my shorthand notes are either it's kind of scattered between voice notes on WhatsApp, or you know, just voice noting myself an idea that I don't forget, or a screenshot, or uh, or a, a scribble in a notebook. Those are kind of like the notes, and uh, I have everything now more professionally, you know, digitally and, and, and shared documents and Word documents. I do actually enjoy the full creative process. So I am involved in the typesetting and the design of the cover and things like that. Um, so I, I do enjoy that kind of thing also. Uh, but I, at this point, I think most of it is happening on, on a computer properly and like a, in a way that would re look like a, a normal, a normal author, a normal writer would. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about what you might want to tell someone who's listening and what some of their reactions might be to some of the things that you said. So the first thing that I want to point out is that you mentioned how you had this very natural ability from a very young age to express yourself through writing. And so if someone's listening to this and they don't have that inherent talent, they don't think that they're a natural writer, what would you tell them as far as developing their creative output? So I would answer you in a couple of ways. 
I think that my first thought is to push back a little bit on your premise. You know, you say that uh, some people might think that they're not natural writers or that they don't have the talent for it or they can't do it. Uh, I think that that assumption is one of the limiting beliefs that I I am very determined to try to uh, to break on a, on a wider scale, both for myself and also for others around me. I think that, that people don't realize how capable they are of developing ideas and expressing ideas and producing ideas. With writing specifically, even if you're not planning to be a published author, I think that we see indications in Chazal and in the Postkim that writing is an important part of uh, of the creative process in Torah. I mean, there's a couple of well-known marmakomos off the top of my head. Um, you know, Chazal Darshan, you know, the, the, the writing a Sefer Torah and the importance of perhaps as uh, people extend that to writing Sfarim as well. Um, the, I think Rav Moshe in, in Igus Moshe was a big proponent of, of developing ideas in writing. I think he said it was even a kiyum of, of one's ability to be, uh, to be Malamit Torah, of, of, of Talmud Torah, that you're teaching other people through your writing, even if you're not a Rosh Hashiva. Um, there's a Gemara in Baba Basra that talks about Ashri Misha Balkan, Talmud Abiyado, he has CS stuff in the Marsha, and, you know, and even in the postgame, there's a, there's a Taz, a well-known Taz that talks about the Heter to, um, to write Divrei Torah on Cholamoid, if you have an idea, Chiddush that you, uh, you're allowed to write it down in Cholamoid because of, you know, uh, it's important to perpetuate, but also if you don't write it down, then you're going to have to spend the time, even if you remember it, you're going to have to spend the time after Cholamoid to, to write it down. So there's almost like an underlying assumption in the ties that you're going to be writing it down and developing the idea that's part of Talmud Torah, better to do it now on the spot than to have to take up time later. So it's, it's almost like he's telling you uh, between the lines that, you know, I'm assuming that you're writing your stuff down. Uh, so th that's kind of point number one, is that everybody... Everybody has the ability to do it, just like any other skill. That's a skill that you can um, that you can develop. But I would even say beyond that, more generally, even if you go outside the context of writing, I think that the general idea I think that I'm trying to communicate, and what I was inspired by and learned from my mentors and from people like Dr. Applebaum, is that at some point in your Torah career, that's and the career doesn't end. You're never going to get fired. You know, you're going to be a Ben Torah forever. So at some point in your career, you have to transition from being just a passive consumer to being an active contributor, creator, participant. Writing is one way to do it, but there are endless other you know, opportunities and alternatives. Any person who has any skill, every person who's listening to this is, is, is talented in so many ways, has different uh, leanings in terms of what they're interested in, in terms of what they're capable in doing. You know, I'll... I'll you, you can leverage any of those skills to give back to the Torah community, to develop ideas. You might not know what those things are right now, and it's not an overnight kind of fix, but it's something which, which you develop over time. You're a great example by starting this podcast and starting this community. This is something which you were drawn to with your skill set, and this is now the beginning of what hopefully will be a growing contribution from where you sit. I'll, I'll give you another example that's not writing-oriented from my own experience is that I have been lucky enough to, to work with, uh, with organizations and Rabbanim. Uh, for example, Rav Asher Weiss, Shlita in Yerushalayim. So I have been able to leverage not just my interest in writing in Torah, but also my, my experience in marketing and product to be able to develop his website and launch his website, minchasasha.com, and maintain his email lists and to distribute his Torah to thousands of people. I... I'm wearing a sweatshirt here, and I don't, might not look like a Shiva, but I am effectively sending a shear, giving shear every week to 
tens of thousands of people. And I'm doing that because I was able, with Hashem's help, to take my interests, my kohos, my the things that I can do well, and to kind of look for ways to leverage that for Harbatzas Torah, for Talmud Torah. And I think that that's a model, whether it's writing, whether it's helping other Talmudic Chachamim to, to celebrate what they're doing. Every person has opportunities to think about what they can do and then to leverage those things further in, uh, as a Ben Torah and as a part of the Torah community. Another reaction that I have, I'm not going to blame this to anyone else because it's something which I think about all the time, is that to publish stuff and put it out in public takes a great deal of self-confidence. And, tri- and I enjoy our conversation so much because your self-confidence spills over to being confident in me, sometimes even more confidence than I have in myself. So do you want to talk about that a little bit, about how you developed that? So I'm really encouraged by uh, you know, hearing that because the, the the secret is that I was not naturally that self-confident about it. And I think that maybe one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about breaking that stigma, you know, this whole like uh, limiting mindset of I can't, I'm not, I'm not, not worthy, I don't have a seat at the table. Maybe part of that for me is that uh, it's something which I, you know, faced myself and, and with the help of, of, of my mentors and, and my parents and people around me and my wife and others around me who encouraged me, you know, I was able to develop, uh, uh, you know, I think that over time. So I appreciate that. I, I think that looking back, this might be the biggest issue facing Balabatim today, to put it that I don't think that's an overstatement. I think that there is a pervading sense of like, you know, I leave Yeshiva, I leave YU, wherever I am, and there's like this this sense of like, well, I'm I'm just a balabas, and so I'll go make a parnasa, and I'll write a check, and I'll learn dafyomi, and I'll, and I'm not minimizing any of those things. When I halavai, I once met uh, Rav Zalman Nachemir Goldberg, of Shlomo Zalman's uh, son-in-law. I was on a bus with him one time. It's a long longer story for another time, but but there he was on the same bus route as me going to work for a period of time. So I used to get off the bus at his stop and walk with him for a few minutes a day just to chat with him. And I once asked him something uh, about dafyomi, and he says to me. I wish I could keep up with Dafyomi. I'm so inspired by the people who uh, who are able to learn a whole daf of Gemara every single day. So I'm not minimiz- minimizing those things at all. Uh, on the one hand, on the other hand, there is a sense that we are limited in terms of what we can do. Oh, the chidushim. Oh, that's for the rabbis. That's for the kolo elyon guys. That's for the rashi yeshiva. Me? You okay? I'll go to the shir. I'll I'll sponsor the shir. We don't give ourselves enough credit. And so what I have I've seen, you know, that. I am capable, like I, like I kind of tried to describe to you before, I think I saw myself that I was capable of doing things that I didn't expect, starting from Rav Kalman Levine and the Chaburas to Dr. Applebaum to publishing Sfarim at times in my life when I just had every excuse in the world not to. And so I definitely have had my ups and downs. I will say, though, on a practical level, in terms of trying to maintain that confidence and that momentum, I've tried to build in kind of protections for myself. So one of them are the Sfarim that I publish for every Simcha. You know, thank God Hashem gives you opportunities to have Smachot. You don't want that kid or that Bar Mitzvah to be the one that doesn't have the, uh, that doesn't have the published Sefer. That, that's not going to, that's not going to end well. So that's certainly a great uh, motivating factor. But even beyond that is I gravitate towards mentors who encourage me. One very special example is Rav Shechter, Rav Herschel Shechter from YU who I've developed a beautiful relationship. I'm not, I'm not a Talmud of YU, but I got to know him over the years. Uh, I spent summers together in NCSY Kolel. Every single summer, without fail, 
I make a point to go one evening to see people on NCSY Kolol and to go to Rav Shechter to say Shalom Aleichem and also to show him something that I've written. I give him something that I've written that year. And he will always, I mean, I don't know if he does this just to be nice. I, I hope not. But he will always warmly not only encourage me and tell me, he likes to quote to me the Rambam in Hilchas Talmud Torah. He says, I, I know Balabatim will learn better than some of my Rashi Yeshiva friends. And the Rambam in Talmud Torah, you know, Hilchas Talmud Torah says that Talmud Torah is for everybody. It's not just for the Rashi Yeshiva and it's not just for the rabbis. He says, Balabatim need to learn Torah and Balabatim need to be active contributors and creators. So I think that be, by cons- maintaining relationships with the people who encourage me, uh, I think that that has helped me very, very much to to keep encouraging myself and keep the momentum going. I want to transition to the last part of our conversation. We say every year on Yom Kippur that Akadosh Baruch Hu put us in this world at a specific time, and we're meant to be here in this specific moment. So I want to talk about our specific moment in a broader sense and then in a more particular sense. In a broader sense, we mentioned before the age of social media that we live in. Some people have defined this term called a creator's economy. So as a marketing guy, could you define that and tell us how that's relevant to our conversation? Sure. Um, you know, any person today, certainly the kids or the young people growing up, Gen Zers, I guess you'd call them. If you're, even if you're not on platforms like TikTok, Hasvashalem, or Instagram, or, or some of these other platforms, it's very clear to anybody in the civilized world that you have an outlet for being creative and you have an outlet for using that creativity to make money. And so there's this thing that we call the creator's economy where, you know, companies are being started, platforms are being built, channels are being created of people who are creating content or stuff in their lane of interest. It could be uh, food critics. It could be tech bloggers. It could be people just showing you what they, you know, their cat. I don't know, whatever it is. And some other silly thing. But there's endless possibility for anybody at any age, at any economic level, to simply be a creator, produce that, get recognition, get exposure, and then even monetize that uh, content. And I think that is important because going back to one of the points that we brought up before, when it comes to the Torah world, you know, we are going to leave yeshiva and we're going to leave seminary or whatever it is at some point. And we're going to be faced with all of these different things that pull us in a whole bunch of different directions, obligations, interests, the trends. And at some point, there's going to have to be a decision made. How much am I going to continue to invest in my learning and my Talmud Torah and my connection to Torah? And how much am I going to invest in these other things? It could be obligations, but it could also be creative pursuits. A person's going to get a job and develop a career and a business. Those are creative outlets that make a person feel good about themselves. And in my opinion, we don't anchor ourselves in the Torah world um, in, in some sort of creative, active output. If we don't make that transition from being you know, passive consumers to also being active creators, then the second we have an opportunity to be a creator and leverage that creativity somewhere else, that unfortunately is going to take precedence and that's going to pull us in, in the other direction. So I think that it's critically important for a Ben Torah to find ways or a Bas Torah for him or her to root themselves in, you know, in this place of being a creator, being a, a you know, cre- the, the Torah creator economy needs to be a real thing. Because not only is it effective and important for you as an individual, but it, I think it also will help to keep you rooted and grounded in 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 you know in the Torah world, even when 
winds start blowing in, in other directions. And as far as our current moment, we do find ourselves in the third month of a very, very awful war. You mentioned that one of your big inspirations was a kadosh named Rabbi Dr. Applebaum, Hashem Yukom Damo. Another one of your inspirations was also Kamen Levine, Hashem Yukom Damo. And now we find ourselves in this moment. And if anyone's still listening at this point to our episode, thank you. And I will point out that the donations to Chayalim are so appreciative. I'm in touch with the unit. I'm just going to throw this out there. The morale is a huge challenge. Fighting is very intense. Losing friends is very difficult. And receiving donations and those practical things to help soldiers or displaced people are extremely important. But what about the Torah and the creation of Torah? How do you think about that in the terms of our current moment being in this war? This has been unquestionably one of the most difficult times I think that any of us have experienced in our lifetime. Um, it's it's something which we thought we thought COVID was was a challenge. This is uh, I think uh, I'm not sure who even remembers the challenges and the, the the craziness of COVID now after October 7th. Certainly not in the Jewish community. Um, but to your question of how how it impacts you know our, our place as a Ben Torah and our, our progress and and the general you know, issues that we're discussing. So for me, the way I see it is that I think we're all waking up in the morning every day since October 7th and looking ourselves in the mirror. And we're asking ourselves either implicitly or explicitly uh, uh, the hard question of how am I different today than I was, you know, uh, uh, before, before October 7th? How is my davening different? How is my learning different? How am I contributing to you know, to the Jewish people in a meaningful way. And there's not always a great answer to that question. It's not like there's a, there's an immediate answer, but I think that everybody is, is, is really inspired and motivated to just do more, be more, grow more. I think that that's, that's really uh, uh, the first important point is that I think all of us have, have, have really, we, we've gotten this kick in the pants and, and like we, we, we need, we feel this need to do something about it, which is a, um, it, it hurts. It really hurts. This was at such a terrible, terrible tragedy at, at, at such an awful scale. And yet, you know, as it, we have this ability as Jews to, to turn that, to turn that tragedy into motivation and to see, well, what can we do going forward? That's the first point. I think the second point more specifically in the way that it's impacted is certainly as, as Torah Jews, but honestly, not even as Torah Jews, the entire spectrum of Jewish people, we see something happening across the world that is just honestly unexpected and almost irrational is that people are coming back to their Jewish identity and they're coming out of the woodwork as, you know, posting on Twitter that they're, they're putting out tefillin for the first time in 20 years. They're, they're putting uh, Jewish stars in their, their profiles. They're going to rallies. And certainly in the Torah community, you know, people are trying their best to, to double down and, and realize that what is, what is it that we're fighting for? You know, is this just another war in the news? Is this just another, you know, political dispute? The way we see it, this is really cutting to the core of who we are as Jewish people and who we are as Jewish people and our existence and survival as Jewish people, it cannot be decoupled from our connection to the Torah. And so I think that one of the beautiful things that we have both seen and I think also that we have the opportunity to continue individually, collectively, is to find ways to continue to make this happen, enabling ourselves and enabling other people to create content, to, to consume content, to be engaged with Judaism in a more creative, effective, uh, uh, compelling way. Make, make a context for this energy that has started, this momentum that's begun, 
let's create a collective context for this to, to be able to just exponentially grow as the weeks and months and years go. We should be just doing more and more and more to, uh, to produce, to grow ourselves, and then to create context for other people to, to, to grow and, and, uh, and learn together with us. I think that, that that's where we've already seen the trend uh, going, and I, I hope, I hope we'll, con- we'll see that trend continue to grow as, uh, as time goes. Thank you, Zavi. That is a really amazing finishing message. And I really hope that we continue to see that revolution of Jewish identity, of love of Torah, continue to blossom and flourish from the ashes of this ter- terrible, terrible time. Thank you, Zavi. Thank you so much for listening. If you made it to this point, that means you enjoyed. Please make sure to give us a review and share this episode with a few friends. I want to thank my assistant producer, Yitzhak Schmidman, and my executive producer, Yoni Schwartz, for all of their helpful input. New episodes of Stark Tank will be dropping every week on Monday, so make sure to subscribe so you don't miss them. Until next week, keep on steiging, friends. Thank you.